Hello and welcome to the first episode of the brand new CivLib podcast, where we're looking at your constitutional rights and what the courts have done with them over the years. My name is Arch Grieve and I'll be hosting this podcast, so let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a graduate of Wright State University. I graduated with a degree in social science education. and Currently, I'm going to school at the University of Dayton in order to get my license so that I can get into the classroom and start teaching. Now, in this podcast, I'm going to do my best to explain how your First Amendment rights have been interpreted over the years by the Supreme Court and the lower courts. We'll look at the evolution of cases and how those rulings affect us in our everyday lives. Throughout this podcast, we'll be covering topics like freedom of religion, religion in public schools, free speech issues like obscenity, and much, much more. Now, this podcast will be of particular interest to you if you're taking a civil liberties course at a college or university, are interested in understanding your rights, or just want to know more about the courts and how they make decisions, and more importantly, how those decisions affect you. Now, the way I'm designing this podcast to work is that each podcast will focus on an issue, for example, governmental aid to religion or obscenity, and we'll look at the evolution of case history surrounding that issue. We're going to go into the individual cases and pull out the key facts and look at the reasoning that the court used in coming to a decision. In this first podcast, however, we're going to cover the basics of the Supreme Court and brush up on all that stuff that we forgot from government class. So let's get started. Now, the U.S. federal court system is kind of like a large triangle. At the very top is the United States Supreme Court. Beneath that, we have the 13 courts of appeals or appellate courts, and beneath those are the 94 district courts. Now, these district courts are where the facts of the case are actually decided. And once you make it to the district court, you do have an automatic right to appeal up to the appellate courts. When you're appealing to these appellate courts, however, you're not really dealing with the facts of the case anymore. You're dealing with the laws and processes and the constitutionality of those laws. So when you go up to these courts, you're not dealing with the facts of the case, and it's not really even a trial. What it is is a hearing where your lawyer will go and present your case to the court and the lawyer for the opposing side will go and present his or her case, and they'll give each of them 30 minutes. This is the same, the same of this, or the same is true rather for the appellate court level and the U.S. Supreme Court. And during this time, the judges or justices, depending on where they're at, will ask them questions about the constitutionality of their of their case. Now, some terms that you're going to want to know going forward are the following: we have the appellant or the petitioner, and this is the person who wants to make an appeal to one of these courts. The person who responds to those is known as the appellee or respondent. Now when you submit a case to an appellate court, you don't actually go to trial like we talked about before. And what you do is you submit a brief, or your lawyer will submit a brief, stating your case and the Constitution questions that arise from it. Now you get to file a brief as the appellant then the appellant, or the appellee rather, will file a responding brief. After that, you file a responding brief to their responding brief, so you have a total of three briefs present, minimum for each case. 
After that, there's another kind of brief that I want you to know about, and that's the amicus curiae brief. And this is Latin for friend of the court. So these amicus briefs are people who have an interest in the resolution of your case, but they're not actually involved in the proceedings. So people like the ACLU, which is the American Civil Liberties Union, issue a lot of these kind of briefs because they want the court to decide a matter a certain way, and they have an opinion on the, as to how the court should decide it. So you'll see a lot of these amicus briefs being filed on behalf of people like the ACLU or the NRA or other interest groups that, that have an interest in your case. Now from the appellate courts, you go on to the Supreme Court and the pecking order. However, actually getting to the Supreme Court is a lot more difficult than getting to, to one of these lower courts. What you need to get into the Supreme Court for them to hear your case is a writ of certiorari or a writ of cert. And the way that you get this is you have four members of the court. There's nine total, so you don't need a majority. But you need four members to sign on saying that they'll hear your case, basically. It's known as the rule of four. And these justices signing this writ of cert will basically be your golden ticket into getting to the Supreme Court. All right, so let's talk about the Supreme Court a little bit. The Supreme Court sits from October until the end of May hearing cases, and then generally they issue decisions up until the end of June. During the week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, they'll be hearing cases. On Thursday, they'll be doing research, and Friday is when they'll make their decisions. Now, at the actual hearing, as we talked about earlier, only your lawyers are present, and each is given 30 minutes to present his or her case. There's a total of one hour for each case that's heard. And during this time, justices will be asking questions of the lawyers uh, about their case and grilling them. Some of the justices like to ask more questions than others. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is known for asking a lot of questions. Clarence Thomas is known for remaining silent for, for most of the hearing, rarely, rarely asking any questions. Now, the actual court consists of nine members, and I wanted to give you them and order of their seniority, as well as whether they stand on the or are on the conservative side or the liberal side of the court. And currently, the Chief Justice is Chief Justice John Roberts, is on the conservative side of the court. Then we have Justice John Paul Stevens, who's actually the longest-serving member of the court currently, but um, he's not considered to be more senior than the Chief Justice. But he has served the longest uh, so far, and he's on the liberal side of the court. Justice Antonin Scalia is on the conservative side. Justice Anthony Kennedy gives us a little bit more trouble in classification because he's often the key swing vote in five to four decisions. And he's conservative on some issues and more liberal on others. But um, for our purposes, we'll, we'll leave him alone um, in, in terms of classification. Um, we have Clarence Thomas, who's on the conservative side. And, far less ambiguous about uh, which side he falls on. Uh, then we have Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's on the liberal side. Stephen Breyer, liberal side. Samuel Lito Jr. on the conservative side. And the newest member of the court, who just replaced Justice David Souter, is uh, Sonia Sotomayor, who uh, is also on the liberal side. And no, uh, no sides really changing very much there, as uh, she's replaced one of the other more liberal justices, Justice David Souter, and she's also considered to be one of the more uh, liberal justices now. So once the court has actually heard a case, they'll issue an opinion which will come 
quite a bit later after they've heard the, the case and when they're actually voting on it. Uh, this will be behind closed doors on uh, Friday when they're making their decisions. Uh, the voting will go in order of their seniority, Chief Justice going first, and uh, after they voted on a case, if the Chief Justice is in the majority opinion, he'll assign who gets to write the opinion for the court, which he can assign it to himself if he if he wants, but uh, often he'll he'll delegate that to one of the other members. Uh, if he's not in the majority, however, the senior associate justice assigns who gets to write an opinion. And we have three kinds of opinions. One is the opinion of the court, and that's the official opinion for how the courts decided something, and that's considered to be good legal precedent for lower courts and how they should decide uh, similar cases. But we also have concurring opinions. And these are written by members of the majority on a, on a particular case, who agreed with the ruling, but they disagreed in the reasoning for how the court came to that ruling. So they'll file a concurring opinion saying, or clarifying their position a little bit more. And um, we also have on the losing side, people who lost the ruling uh, in, a, in a particular case, they'll be able to write a dissenting opinion and this says that they disagreed and that this is why. Now a dissenting opinion doesn't really carry um, much legal precedent, but it's kind of an appeal to history for cases that maybe don't have a very good, um, strong reeling, ruling coming out of them. So, especially decisions that are with just a simple majority of the court or even a plurality of the court, like five four decisions, are are not really um, very good legal precedent because they're often subject to being overturned in future courts. So in assessing an opinion, history kind of judges its Supreme Court Chief Justice by how well he's able to achieve consensus among people in the court. The ideal decision is a nine-to-nothing decision, and that's the way that um, Brown v. Board of Education was, uh, was decided. And you want a nine-to-nothing decision with no concurring opinions because that means you have a really strong case, or opinion from the court, rather, and that's very good legal precedent. A fractured opinion um, is less of a legal precedent. It's more subject to interpretation and uh, possibly subject to being overturned in future rulings of the court. That's all that we're going to be talking about for this episode, but join us next time and we'll start to get into the First Amendment and really looking at some of these cases and your rights going forward. So thanks for listening to the very first episode of the Civil Lib Podcast. And before you leave, I'd like to leave you with a quote from Justice Learned Hand. Liberty lies in the hearts of men and women. When it dies there, no constitution, no law, no court can save it. Thanks for listening, and until next time, bye-bye for now.